When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sissoko finally waited. Ericsson low. Great ball into the middle. What a save by Heaton. Tonight's Davison Sanchez. Lucas Moura. And belted into the net. Brilliant goal. On debut, Tunge Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Aurier! What a finish for 3-2 from Serge Aurier! First time here to Son. Kane, good area for Spurs. And Kane's not afraid to shoot. Wow, what a goal, Harry Kane! That is exceptional! Try and place it. Wonderfully taken by Eric Lamella. Never afraid to take on a shot, and with good reason. Terra in the Burnley back line, and Son breaks forward. Oh, wow, what a run! Yemin Son from inside his own half has scored one of the best goals of his Spurs career. Good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode of the new Spurs Order pod. Uh, I don't know why I'm smiling. It's been a pretty horrendous seven days for Spurs. I can't even lie to you. This is probably the lowest um, I've felt since Conte has taken over the club. But I'm joined by two very, very reliable co-hosts. Tops, how you doing, brother? You're on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. Sorry, brother. Um, thanks for introducing me. Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Not amazing about Spurs right now, but yeah, man, we'll we'll get into that, man. We'll get into that. Okay, fair enough. We will get into it. <laughs> From time I see it's a short, a short intro, then boy. Man, they need to get some shit off their chest. Um Sting, what are you saying, man? Jack, it's been a while since we've been on a on a pod together, man. It's good to have my brother of destruction alongside me. What are you saying? <laughs> oh, Sting, Sting is feeling stung right now after all this kerfuffle, <laughs> all this uh, brutal crap that we've got to take from, you know, this club that we chose to somehow support and through, through all these years. It's getting ridiculous now. I'm stuttering. I don't know what to say. <laughs> let's just let's just get into it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 get into it. Let's let's just dive straight into it, guys. Spurs have lost two consecutive home matches um, in the league: one to Southampton and one to Wolves. We didn't even score against Wolves. Um, third best defense in the league currently, and it showed um, against us because we couldn't break them down to to save our lives, but. I mean, it's always going to be difficult when uh, when we have players that have literally gifted Wolves two goals out of absolutely nothing. <clears throat> but anyway, um, let's get into it first. Let's talk about the, the lineups, man. Um, what was everyone's thoughts on the lineup, the shape? Um, I'll start with, with you, Tops. When you saw that team, were you expecting 
the the shit show that that eventually happened, or did you think that there was um, a more positive performance uh, to have come from that team? Um, no, I, honestly, I wasn't expecting the shit show. To be honest with you, there were some changes that were made that I thought were kind of enforced. Um, I definitely thought that um, Regulon needed to come out. Um, Hoybieg uh, was, you know, rightly taken out of the side as well. Um, I was surprised that he kept Lucas in, all things considered. Lucas is in a bit of a bad run. Um, defensively, um, the back three, you know, stayed the same with uh, Dyer not being back ready. And interestingly, he brought in Cess, which I wasn't sure if it was because he wasn't happy with Regulon's form um, or it was just a, decided to chop and change it because of, you know, the number of games. Um, so in, in many respects, like it was a, it looked fairly positive um, in terms of some of the changes he he, he made. Um, but I mean, that was pretty much the only positive thing I could say, really. Sorry, I was drinking my water. Um, fair, that's fair enough. Pretty objective view. Um, I'm not going to lie. I looked at the team and like word to say, I've tried to, I've tried to adopt size approach of not really um, overanalyzing the squad now or the lineup because listen, but we're mudded. No matter what team he puts out, like the, our squad's not good, so there's not really going to be a team I'm happy with. But I'm not going to lie, I was concerned when I saw the wing backs that we were playing. The right side is always going to be the right side because I'm always going to be concerned about that side just because of the personnel we have. But I was in dismay when I saw the left side. And I remember we were talking about it midweek. Shout out Ash. He was asking for Regulon to be dropped after Southampton. And me and Jack, it's like literally <coughs> twin telepathy, even though he's not my twin. And I've actually got a twin. <laughs> the, exact, the exact same thing I commented, Jack must have commented on it like a minute later without even knowing what I commented. Because he's asked, people are now asking for Sessignon to start. And I said, on what basis? What basis should Sessignon be starting ahead of Regulon? It, it baffles me. It just it's again what what you've been saying before last week about the savior complex. What it's we're, where we live in we live in a society where everything's hyperpolarized. It's one versus the other. It's you got to pit people or things against each other, and that's what where Spurs fans are doing right now. It's no, you know, look what was it last season? Who was it? Lamella versus Mora. Uh, um, always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doherty Do- versus Chicken Royale. It's 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 mad. It's absolutely mad, and I don't know what to say about it. You know, when you ask about what the lineup is, it's like, meh. You know, no matter how what, no matter what lineup, whether it's the strongest possible lineup, weakest possible lineup, it's still crap. Ultimately, it's still not good. It's still not going to be good enough. I mean, you can say you know have three in midfield against Wolves and whatnot because you know relieve the pressure on on the sitting two because Wolves do have midfielders who want the ball, who play with the ball, who like to play around, who like to um, play out wide a lot. And, you know, it doesn't really matter who we have because the personnel, or what we play, because the personnel that we will start with won't be good enough to counteract Wolves. To count- uh, Wolves! <laughs> Are you- this ain't like prime Real Madrid. This is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Bro. <laughs> We should we should, we, we should be beating Wolves at home. Like I'll I'll say this, even with a a, a pissy poor squad, we should be beating Wolves at home. 
Well, we absolutely should be, man. Like, like I mean, if we're looking at the game from a statistical standpoint, bar the two mistakes, we had the most shots, we had the most possession, we had the most corners, we had the most, we had the most chances. Sometimes in these sort of games, which are going to be tight, you just can't account for your goalkeeper or your defenders making stupid goal-bearing errors on the team that put you back at a loss. On, an, on another day, that's probably a draw. On another day, we maybe even win that because of the quality of the chances that we had. And we were literally just wasting chances. But by then, the damage is done. 2-0 yeah. in that first half, the, the morale is already quite low. The rapport that the players are going to have with the fans is going to be very, very low. Uh, it was, you know, once those two goals went in, it was it was almost curtains, despite us trying to get back into the game. It, it almost felt like it was curtains. Yeah, I think I think with um with for me looking at the actual the game itself, yeah, in the first half, I just like you can imagine my shock, right? When I'm seeing these players do unspeakable things on this pitch to put us in danger, like I'm there rolling my eyes every single, every 30 seconds because it felt like every other minute we were making a mistake. I don't know. What what, what was you lot's take on that? Because it was No, just- no, absolutely, absolutely. So sorry, sorry, Jack, to just jump in mm-hmm. there. Like, I mean, like, I know I, I, sometimes I just feel like a broken record when it comes to this sort of stuff because if it's not a defender's, it's the wing-backs. If it's not the wing-backs... It's the goalkeeper. This week, I saw a stat about Aspilicueta, who has gone through a period of time, maybe a season or something, where he has never personally contributed to a mistake where a goal has been scored against Chelsea in their team. Why is it every single week? It, if it's not Royale, it's Sanchez. If it's not Sanchez, it's Davies. If it's not Davies, like this weekend, it was Lloris. Like, 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 even in the first half, I kind of felt sorry for Cesc because the way Davies was defending on that flank, he was handicapping him, completely handicapping him. And in the end, he's the one that got dragged off because obviously the shape wasn't working and the mistakes had been made by Lloris and the defence hadn't managed to clear the ball away. Like, I, I, I know it's the top level and I know it's players who have played at this level for a long time, but... It's just so difficult when every week it seems to be a, se- a separate person who seems to be making these stupid mistakes, which can't be accounted for. Like we, it's one thing it to it's one thing to say youth, inexperience, but it's another one to say players who have you know a century of Premier League games, yeah, international experience that are making mistakes week on week out. Yeah, and, and I know Jack. I'm going to bring you in here. Um, because we have to talk about Lloris, right? We have to talk about Hugo Lloris. And you know I've got a lot of time for Lloris. We've spoken high. This is a podcast that actually, I would say, that actually appreciate the work that Lloris has done. And we know what type of goalkeeper he is like for the most part. But why is it that no matter how sick Lloris is playing, because he has been sick this season, why is it that he's always, he's almost, in fact, it is a banker that we have, like one or two games where he just throws the game for us. And it always happens coincidentally in this January, February period. It's, it's, it's like clockwork. It is like clockwork. And I don't understand it. I can give you the answer in a, in a song lyric. 
blame it on that's what it is the guy's drunk I, I i do you know what i think there's there's some there's it's probably his missus birthday around this time or something like that he's getting smashed week in week out I, I don't know i don't know um i just part of me thinks that you can't he needs to be at a certain level of concentration to be a, on top form like he has been all season. And the moment that concentration goes away from 98%, that's it. it, it he's either like, he's a zero to 100 goalkeeper, I think is either really, really immense for us as he has been. But when he's not, he absolute calamity, an absolute calamity. He's just, he, he's a, he is the epitome of a very polarized keeper. He could, He's both extremes of the spectrum. He will be amazing for us. He'll be absolutely, he'll cost us. And that that's where, that's what causes a divide about Hugo Lloris himself because he'll save us so many points, but he will cost us points as well. I can't explain why. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm thinking it is the, the liquor side of things that's... Uh, I've got a theory. I've got a theory. I think Lloris has got a, a very sort of mild case of a contagious disease in our quad it's called the, the the bozo virus it's called the bozo virus and larissa has got a mild case in it and the reason why i say it's mild is because even though it's it's not high in frequency it's not uncommon so it's there season on season out it's like a common cold you know you're going to catch a cold at least once or twice a year yeah yeah and then the rest of our team, they have a severe case of the bozo virus where they literally are, they're like, they're like babies, literally like babies. See how babies, they get sick every other week. These fools make the same mistakes over and over and over again. That, that, that genus analysis on Davison Sanchez was scary because the guy had no Wolves player near him for around 17 yards. You are literally under no pressure. And somehow you have given the ball away to Wolves and they're in on goal. Um, it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's scary. remarkable. Like, it's time, to, time to receive the ball. You see the ball's coming. Time to trap the ball. Time to decide where you're going to make, what decision you're going to make. And still, with no one actively pressing you, you give the ball up. Like, how do you account for stuff like this? It's just... Uh, it's, it's match fixing. It's match fixing. He, he knows what he's doing. It's got to be match fixing, surely. If it ain't the Bozo G, it's got to be that. Like, but Pops, you, you said, how do you count for this? You can't. You actually can't legislate for this nonsense. And as much as we didn't like Mourinho, because we didn't, like, eventually, it showed in certain matches we were playing where you're like, this is, like, you can't even put this on the, on, on, on the manager. I look at games on the jersey last year. I look at Newcastle. I look at Everton. Both games we played against Everton at Goodison Park. I look at Liverpool. I look at Chelsea. Yeah, the performance over 90 minutes, that's on the manager. But the mistakes that were seen in those games, giving away dumb penalties, literally just not catching the ball, not, not trying to press a player, just passing the ball to the opposition. You can't legislate for these mistakes. You can't. I mean, what are you supposed to do? How's, how are you supposed to defend against that? Like, you know, you see last week against Saints, um, Davies all of a sudden all over the place. You get this week, uh, Lloris completely all over the shop, defenders all over the shop for the second goal. 
I mean, it's difficult because, you know, obviously people make mistakes, but after a while, if it starts happening repetitively and regularly, and it's important in games that actually matter, you know, I like it's defeatist, but I'll, I'll, I'll think about the City game and think, fine, we'll probably lose that. But I want my team to perform and be concentrating in the games that matter, the Saints at home, the Wolves at home. And these are the ones that we can't seem to just can't seem to just put it together. I mean, uh, it's difficult as well because Conte must be trying to do as much as he can on the training pitch to get these guys. And, you know, they get that they touch pitch Sunday afternoon, Wednesday evening. And you're right. Bozo Jean just activates, man. It's just, it's disgusting, man. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, yeah, so, ah, we've spoken about Lloris, like, it's scary that Lloris can do that shit in such a high-pressure game as our captain and it just cost us the game. But we've been in this situation before, Lloris. It happens and it's just not on, but it's scary that Lloris is literally the last of our problems. We're, we're speaking about a game where he's, cost us three points and he is literally the last of our problems which tells you how bad this squad is now let's get into let's get into the actual gameplay because um you mentioned it briefly jack we went with yet another two-man midfield and for uh, yet another game we were overrunning the midfield in central areas until Conte made that switch after we were 2-0 down and brought on Kulisevsky to play in the 10 um, and took off Sessignon. So went 4-2-3-1. Uh, so I think that's the first time Conte's actually played the 4-2-3-1 for Spurs. Um, what were your thoughts on the midfield two? And do you think it's now time for Antonio Conte to go with a three-man midfield? And by three-man midfield, would you like to see the two, the double pivot followed by a 10, or would you just like to see a midfield three? Um, for me, a double pivot with the 10 is probably the most feasible in terms of protecting those bozos at the back. And depending on who the number 10 is as well. And I think that has to be, that has to be Kulu. Um, just got to try him there. Um, so I think having him drop as deep as he can whilst being able to try and create, try and get into good positions um, across the front three, maybe, um, and drift around. I think that might suit Kulu more. And I think just having Bentoncourt and whoever out of PEH and Winks, I mean, I can't I can't decide on. It's like... <laughs> it's like choosing whether... It's like what? choosing whether... You, <laughs> exactly. It's like choosing whether you want to drink, piss or eat shit doesn't matter <laughs> it's just both crap but yeah um i think something like that you need to maximize the midfield you need to that's a that's an absolute weakness of ours um you know i remember what was the expression said we're, we're bagel fc or something there's nothing in the middle i think we're like a half i think we're like a half eating donut now to be honest because there's nothing at the back either um it's yeah it's bad it's absolutely bad and yeah we need to pack the midfield. Packing the midfield is probably the most viable option from there on. And I think that's probably the only criticism I can give Conte. Um, because we, you know, I think maybe he overestimated or underestimated how much better other midfields are compared to ours. So, yeah, I think we go with that. But Kulu, 
number 10 again you know i, I have I, I haven't been i'm not convinced of that signing yet i'm not gonna like shit on him but what I not, yet. Not, not yet not yet not <laughs> yet it's gonna i can see <laughs> you know the inevitable's gonna happen i think pretty much i got a 99 hit Ratio, like, <laughs> honestly, almost everyone I've said that's going to be shit. <laughs> it's been shit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my guns here. Um, to be honest, because he didn't. That cameo wasn't good. That cameo was, was not. I think he's gonna prove you wrong. I like Colin, man. I, I hope so. Listen, I hope so. But pff, listen, we're we're addicted to. Um, you know how like certain certain men and women, you know, they they're attracted to a certain kind of the opposite gender or whatnot who always shitty to them but yet they still keep going back that's what we do we're just attracted to bozos we're just attracted to bozos and yeah i don't know every 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 topic we have i end up ranting so just move away slowly yeah tops um anything else in addition to the three that you think conte Conte can do better because a lot of people, well, I say a lot of people, a few people I've spoken to are now actively saying that he should adopt a four at the back. But me personally, I think we've actually looked way more secure defensively with a back three as much as, as much as we can, because we've got clowns at the back. But what's your, what, what's your view on a back four versus a back five? Yeah, I mean, um, my only my only issue with playing a back four is that I just don't feel that we have a defenders competent to play well in a back four. Um, I don't feel that I trust any of my right fullbacks to go forward or even defend um, in a back four um, of the centre backs. I, I do trust Dyer and I do trust Romero, but it seems that he seems to it seems like Conte seems to favour. Um, playing a back three, which kind of also, you know, protects Dyer a bit. It protects Davies and obviously Sanchez, who's playing there right now. But um, on that left side, Cesc isn't very good at either. And honestly, Regulon probably isn't very good at either either. So he's probably best placed um, keeping that tactic. Um, I do agree. I feel like um, we do have... I think we should start to adopt... Um, a middle three. I just feel like currently with the, with the kind of profile of players that we have in there, I, although we let players go, it doesn't look like um, we've got like a massive amount of depth there. You know, once you have Hoiberg out of form and once you have Skip injured, it does look a lot a, a, a lot tighter than it once was. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a big Skip fan and I just didn't, it's now making me realise how important he is to the team. Um, having not having him in there. Um, Can I stop you there, Tom? So yeah, I think this is this is the one thing that we spoke about. I remember before before ball was kicked, we spoke about it on on this very podcast. And I think now, to a to the point that I was making around the savior complex thing, it's like there is so much pressure now being put on Oliver Skip's shoulders yeah. to come this midfield simply because of how bad the reliable play I say reliable Hoybier is meant to be reliable the the exceed the, the experienced players have been or they are like 
I think it's a lot of pressure. Even Dyer, I don't rate Dyer highly, but admittedly, he's probably not as bad as I as I say he is based on this season's evidence. But mm-hmm. again, a lot of pressure on him. Him and Skip, what they come back into the team, and what is is everything just meant to to just revert back no, to no, to back to a good time, a good period? Is is I feel like with Spurs, we we do this thing where we are basically hinging. And it's not you. It's not. It's not a thing that you do. I think it's just generally because of the the lack of quality in our team. Throughout, this is it. This we're, is it. we're always having to to to, to bank on like f- maybe three, four players to to just drag the rest. And it's like, how can how can three, four players have to constantly carry passengers? It's never going to work. Spurs are never going to achieve anything. Or progress long term if we constantly have passengers not only in on, on the bench but on the in the starting eleven we have passengers in the starting eleven. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And again, this is a situation that we also kind of knew was going to be the case at the beginning of the season. Skip was never meant to be a you know a starting first team player. We always knew that he was going to be a, he was going to be surplus to players who are already experienced. Some players have stayed. Some players have gone, and still. The ones that we have are still not really performing. I wouldn't say at the level, but they're just not performing at the level that we need them to. And it's almost as if you need someone like him who has like a calming nature, who is technically proficient, who is a hard worker. Things that you just want that are basics in like a in like a first team eleven, especially in midfield. And we're not getting that from some of the guys right now. I don't know. It's 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 hard not to feel like somewhat like dejected and. Because some of these midfielders, I mean, and I said it before, experienced bodies, and I won't, I won't emphasise it anymore. Experienced bodies who've played at international level, who have, you know, half a ton, more than a ton of Premier League experience, and we're still asking for more and more and more from these guys. Like maybe as well, we we should also just admit that what's being asked of them from a Conte perspective just isn't capable they're just not capable of doing there's not much there's not much in their remit which is ridiculous we don't we don't have specialists we don't have versatile players i i I question what what a lot of these guys work (laughs) on if they're working on it because i can't imagine a emerson royale crossing session i I can't imagine how many targets he's hitting we see we see it in the warm-ups. So whenever we get to get to a game, maybe maybe thirty minutes before kickoff, and you'll see him. You'll see him practicing crosses. I'm sorry, and... I find I find that incredible. <laughs> I, I find that utterly incredible. <laughs> a a twenty two year old who's probably played football from the age of seventeen, eighteen, is being coached at this point in his career to cross as a fullback, as a wingback, as a that's incredible to me. I'm sorry, it's in, it's incredible. <laughs> Anyway, uh, before we move on to Conte's explosive comments this week, um, I want to zero in on the midfield because I want to to mention a certain midfielder. I've got to mention him because, listen, it wasn't just members of our pod. It was also members on Twitter. They said, drop Hoybier, um, let's let's get Skip, Let's, let's, let's get Harry Winks in. And credit to Harry Winks, who's actually playing relatively well for a couple of weeks. And I guess since Brighton, what we've seen is 
is exactly why Harry Winks has struggled to to to, to claim a first team spot at Spurs. Um, we saw a, a pretty dismal performance in the second half against Brighton. Him and Hoybier. Then they followed that up with another shocking performance against Southampton. Him and Hoybier again. So we then tried Winks and um, we then tried Winks and Benton Core. For me, it was noticeable who was a, a reasonable performer on the day and who wasn't. Antonio Conte, of course, came out in, in, um, after the game and said that he was happy with, with Winks and Benton Core's performance. But <laughs> Conte's also said a lot of crazy shit. He said Eric Dyer's got potential to be one of the best centre-backs in the world and Davison Sanchez has shown quality potential. The point I'm making is this. I want to see the same energy kept. Hmm? I want to see the same energy kept for Harry Winks. I'm sorry. The guy isn't good enough to be a starter at Spurs. He just isn't. Yeah, sigh, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why he is even back into the fold is because Antonio Conte wants to keep him. And as we've spoken on this pod, whatever Antonio Conte wants, we got to shut up and take. But if I had it my way, he'd be at the door. One of our own hype. He's dead. 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 Boy band hype. This guy is... Nah. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've been critical. I've been vocal about him. So I'm, I, I don't need to keep repeating myself. Like a, I'm sounding like a broken record myself. Um, All of our midfielders, you know, PH, uh, Winks, they're just, they're never going to be good enough. They're not good enough passers of the ball. They're not good enough. They're definitely not progressors of the ball at all, either way. Hoybier had three good months with us and the other, what, 15, 16 months, he's been horrible. That's all I'm saying. I, I can't, you can't say he's been good for us when he's been for, what, 70, 80% of the time he's been at Spurs. He's been no, terrible. That's fair. that's fair. He's 2021 as a whole and even 2022, he's been, he's been poor. He's been yeah. very Winks for four years, he's had a good few months at the club, but that's about it. That's 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 an even worse ratio in my eyes. Um, so yeah, Oliver Skip again, the savior complex. I don't want to put pressure on this guy, and do you know what? I was like, you know, we need a midfielder. Skip isn't someone we should be starting every game. He shouldn't be a regular starter. He should be a squaddy at most, at most for the level we want to be at. He's impressed me, though. He's impressed me with his performances, with his commitment and his competence on the pitch. But it, equally, you know, he's not going to have... He's not going to play well every game. And we're going to... People are going to get onto him as well. And, you know, and that's because of the pressure you're putting on him. That's because of the reliance you're putting on a guy who's, what, only 22 years old. It, I think fans are a massive problem. I mean, they play a massive role in what, you know who who stays at the club or who who's liked at the club even uh, i think Deli ali being at the club for this long after all that love for him that he he had over the years i i just didn't get it i just didn't get it and all the tears of all the tears of pain after he left it just bamboozled me just seeing 3 years worth of crap you know being overshadowed by rose tinted glasses it just bewilders me it just bewilders me but hey, 
I guess we're the man. We're in the minority. <laughs> well said. Um, listen, Winks wasn't even the worst performer. <clears throat> wasn't the worst performer there for me. That was Lloris. Lloris, hands down, donkey of the day. He cost us those three points. But I've got to look at other players. I've got to look at Sanchez. What a horrible centre back he is. I'm sorry. Like I, it's scary that. I, I, once upon a time, I used to I used to actually like this guy. What a horrible centre-back he is. And it's like, no matter what team we play, our right side is basically open season. If it's not Chicken Royale and Sanchez, it's Chicken Royale and um, uh, and, um, and Tanganga. Or it's flipping um, Matt Doherty and Sanchez. It's just scary. It's absolutely scary. It really, really is scary. Um that Doherty guy, my goodness, bro. Yeah. It's like playing with 10 men. No, no, no word of light. It's like playing with 10 men. You said you said you said his name. You said his name. <laughs> yeah, shit. I should stop saying his name. We need what to we need what to remember. Matthew. <laughs> number two, number two. Number Just two. Keep it number, number two. two Matthew, yeah. Number two Matthew. Um they got Tommy Castillo for the super chat as well. He says Conte says. He's happy with their performances because he knows that's all they are capable of doing. He knows they are not good enough for the club. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Cheers for that. Um, S. Wade says, Betis got rid of Emerson and they're in one foot. They're one foot in a Copa del Rey final and Europa League knockout rounds. Boy, make it out what you will. <laughs> I think that's a big reason. <laughs> <laughs> make it out what you will. Um, but guys, let's, let's, let's actually move on now to... Um, what's been yet another eventful week in the in the land that is Spurs Twitter and Spurs Spurs news? Antonio Conte, uh, for those who are listening or watching, Antonio Conte um, gave an interview to Sky Italia, probably what yesterday, I think, or oh, it, it came out yesterday anyway, and he made a lot of a lot of statements about Spurs, a lot of statements about Spurs. Some people t- took what he said out of context. Um, but guys, have you seen the interview? Tops, have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. I've I watched it a couple of times. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like as I've got older, I've just as I've got older, definitely I've become disillusioned as a as a Spurs fan, and um, because of that. I've started to take a bit more of a... Although when I get to games, I am a bit of a passion merchant. Passion merchant. But when I think about all things Spurs, I am becoming kind of like laboured and fairly measured in like the way I see things. And I don't know, even before the Twitter age that everybody seemed to, you know, to be taking upon, I just felt like he was just spitting hard, cold, platonic facts. I just felt like a lot of what he said, he was just saying things that were like completely true. Um, we've heard in the past, for instance, Paratici talk about our, our transfer model, how we want to sign young, prospective players with good potential. Conte said that's the kind of players that we are signing and that's how we go. He talked about us losing players. We literally did lose players numerically. We, we, we let go of four we we brought in two. I mean, he also speaks all the time about 
Tottenham being emotional, emotional, emotional. And he wants people to behave in a way that is more stable. And I just feel like right now at the club, everything is so up and down. And because people have such different agendas, you know, and when I say that, I mean literally things like people being unhappy about the performances, people wanting to put their rage up at Enik and, and Daniel Levy, people not happy that the, with the way that we're playing, or even people not being happy at Paratici and what he did in January. I mean, uh, a lot of this stuff is true, but I just feel that the way Conte maybe puts it out, because maybe it's quite refreshing to us, or it's not refreshing if you don't like how he's putting it, but he's just saying things that I believe to just be true. And uh, maybe that's why people um, seem to like uh, seem to be taking it so weirdly. Like I, I think one of the comments that came out was something like the club seemed to be quite surprised about some of the contents of the interview, which, in my opinion, it's either maybe they've interpreted it wrong or the club are so muddied that they f- are failing to see what is so clear and obvious in front of their eyes. I, I don't know. I don't know. It was, um, I've always thought Conte to be a hard-hitting person. He's very honest. Um, he's very, like, frank. He has been at Chelsea. He was at Inter. And now at Tottenham, you know, like, if you, if you read the interview, you know, he speaks about not just the negative stuff. He speaks about being happy at Tottenham. He knows exactly the job that is in front of him. He knows exactly the situation that he's been involved in. And he just wants us to work towards the same goal. I know there's comments about him saying the 1% that he has to give where he kind of feels like that would normally be enough for him at other clubs. But you have to understand, this is a manager who's also who's also managed at the top, top level and been given the top amount of resources to do his job. He's obviously come to Spurs and maybe it's had... To to give him a bit of a realisation that, okay, this team is, one, not at the level, this club really isn't at the level that I thought it was. But again, it also seems to me that this is a challenge that he has been very well prepped on and he is willing to take on. Yeah, well said, well said. I think I think that's the one thing that, um, well, most Spurs fans I speak to appreciate about Conte, which is his honesty. Um, too many times we've had managers who are in a sort of halfway house where they're stuck between sort of protecting their own um, interests at the club and um, calling a spade a spade. Um, we had Pochettino who would be a bit inconsistent. He he would call for backing. Um, he'd call for a lot of backing, but at times uh, maybe he was guilty of letting the board off the hook. You had Jose Mourinho who everyone fought would be what Conte is now, and he was anything but that. So, me personally, surely we should be happy that there's a manager at the club who's actually going to call out the issues that fans are constantly are constantly um, complaining about. I don't know, Jack. Um, what's your view on on the interview? Because I see a lot of people tweeting saying, "Why is he always moaning? This is his job." Um, you're, you're getting paid 18 million a year, this is that and the other. Um, what's your take on these interview and comments like that? You're on mute, mate. Oh, shit. Um, I think for, for the interview itself, um, I think there was probably maybe a slight translation sort of discrepancy um, in terms of how he said things. Um, I still think he meant 
what he said, but he tried to say it in the nicest way possible. And I think as, you know, as British people, we sort of mince our words com- compared to, you know, people who from other parts of the world. I think we're quite softly spoken in comparison. Um, so that might have hurt a few feelings um, within the fan base. Definitely the um, tribal uh, happy clappers, the Daniel Levy penis munches out there. Um <laughs> They were definitely hurt the most. They that was like a dagger to the heart for them. Like they, you know, I'm sure they're they're still crying to this minute, um, probably. Um, but as far as the comments and you know, it's like, what did you expect? Do you expect Conte to turn this team into a title slash trophy winning side all of a sudden? Like the excitement I got from Conte being manager wasn't the f- actual footballing side this season. I wrote the season off. I thought. Let, let Conte get his players. The reason why I was looking forward to him because is because of things like this, because of interviews like this, where he's just talking out loud about the club, about the board, and opening you know a few eyes maybe um, across the fan base and hopefully opening a few eyes on the board as well. That's the thing that I look forward to the most, and you know it's a for me this the hiring of. Antonio Conte was a win-win in my eyes. You know, if we, you know, he does well, we win trophies, we, you know, we go for title challenges, that's a win for us. If he walks out in, you know, with a burst of emotion, that will expose the club a lot more and that will, you know, put a lot more fans on, you know, there'll be a lot more tension within the fan base, which is what we need, I think. I think a lot of people need to kick up the backside and need to actually see what's happening because there's quite a myopic mindset within this fan base that we have. So either way, that's what I look for, looked forward to when we signed him, as when we hired him. The footballing side of things, just write it off. Just write it off. He's right. He's right. This guy's a winner. This guy's won more, infinite amount more trophies than Daniel any manager under Daniel Levy has under his tenure. So, who am I going to side with? Because I know who I'm going to... I know who. Facts. Big facts, big facts, man. And, like, one thing as well that I also kind of feel that... that I don't know, because because of the nature of our fan base, you know, it is very flip-floppy. Like, we have to take into account that he's taken on a team, you know, 10, 11 games into a season... And in many respects, it kind of reminds me of the beginning of, of Poch's tenure at Spurs. He had a lot of players who didn't really want to be there. He had to kind of get rid of players in the summer that he did. He had all that issues with, you know, Kabul. We didn't really get that many points in the first sort of period. And we had lots of issues, it looked to me, like with our style of play. But then given the summer, given, given a clear out, given the start of a... Of a of a season with a decent sort of um, preseason, yeah, it, it would appear that things did improve. And obviously, the following two seasons, we literally got our highest Premier League like like points tallies in our history. So, I just kind of feel that we shouldn't be too like straight down his neck. But then you also have to believe as well. Like, and, and I said this in the group as well. There's two things that I do still feel that have to be kind of taken into account. The first thing is that you're a top coach, so you have to you have to be able to get the best out of the players that are literally given to you because you have been 
a top coach in other teams. You have improved players. You have shown that your style is a winning formula. But I also think as well, like, he has to be very clear on his position because as a manager, he signed a 12-month contract or 18-month contract with the potential to extend. And whilst you want us to have a clear idea of where we're going because, you know, we're not that experienced, we're low on confidence, we've not really been doing well in the last few years, you can't also then expect us to suddenly drop 100, 150 million when we don't even know what your future is, you know? So we kind of, as a club, need to know that if you're in with, if you want us to be in with this, then we also need to, you know, have some clarification that you'll be into this. Personally, I don't think you'll walk, but the one thing that I think will be important this summer is will he be given the money, will he be given the backing to really remodel the squad and really get the team to where he wants it to be? I think with that one, and this will be the last thing before we move on to sort of like the Man City preview is, is um, I think the reason why we shouldn't be so reluctant to give him money is although he doesn't have a great record with his buys, he has a great record at winning. He's a winner. Like when he speaks, you listen because you are speaking to someone who's been doing this He's been winning for, for for like a decade straight. This isn't some chump from across the road. This is this isn't some mid-level manager. Like no disrespect to Nuno. Nuno isn't even a bad manager, but he clearly wasn't good enough to do the to do the bare basics that we needed to as a football side at this level. He wasn't. Now compare that to a proven winner. I personally see it as arrogance. I see it as arrogance from our hierarchy our board to bring in a man of his stature his experience and for him to accept the offer and essentially you tell him that he's got to work he's got to work under your conditions you see how you see how nonsensical that is you want him to work under your conditions that have not worked that have not that have not bared any fruit for spurs in recent years it's not worked the whole point of getting a manager like Antonio Conte is so we can move differently. And I don't know whether they've done their research or not, but you made a point, Tops, around how um, they're surprised by the interview. Why are they surprised? Granted, when you when you read the actual full transcript and words aren't taken out of context and stuff like that, the interview actually isn't even, it's not even bad at all. He's just speaking truthfully. And he's actually been, com- and he's even complimentary of, of, of Spurs and their journey um, between now and the next couple of years. But he's not going to lie about the current situation and he's not meant to lie about um, the state of the squad. So whilst Levy's surprised, he needs to to get his head head screwed on and realise what type of manager he's dealing with. This isn't a manager who is going to put up with your bullshit and and be happy that he's having to work with shit players like Emerson and, and, and Matt Doherty when he clearly highlighted that that as a problem position. I don't know, man. It's just, it, it, too many people, too many, many people. They need a reality check. Where do you think, what do you think is going to happen if you continue, if you go the way he wants to go versus the way you want to go? What's more likely to, to, to bring success? This is it. This is it. And I think it's been a consistent model that it's been a model that's consistently failed in bringing what we as fans want to bring. 
for sure. And um, it's, it is just short termism, I think. I, I think part of a very small part of me is like the hiring of Antonio Conte was just short term appeasement for the fans because we were mudded with the choice of managers that we had. Because no matter who we, whoever became manager after Nuno, outside of Conte, it would have been curtains. It would have been you know curtains in terms of what people, what fans thought. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not the case because especially when you know Antonio Conte said himself, you know he's looking forward to you know he's happy with the way things are working ultimately. Um, and that tweet from Fabrizio also said that they've got big you know we've got big plans in the summer. Who knows? You know, got to see it to got to see it, got to see it to believe it. But um, there's got to be a reason, and I think what, well, yeah, there's there's got to be some kind of assurances he has been given to suggest there might be something, not not in the pipeline because I know this board. I, I don't think you know that's going to happen. But there's going to be some players, some important positions that will be covered. But mm-hmm. it won't be enough. It won't be enough. I thought in January we had to, um, you know, buying two players, you know, from from a top club like Juve is bigger than most, you know, January windows that any club could have. But the problem is, relative it's to our situation, it's nowhere near yeah. enough. It's nowhere near enough. <laughs> yeah, and this hyped. summer, and this summer, I think we can sign six, seven players. I still don't think that's enough. I still don't think that will be. Actually, six or seven might, might might cut it. But in terms of a squad, having a squad, six or seven would. But I get the point you're making. It's it's yeah. the fact that they they constantly keep fucking up and making the job that they have to do bigger and bigger. A club who already had a club who already have their affairs in order would only need to sort of refresh their team with maybe one, two, maybe even three players per summer. But no, with Spurs, every single... You notice now, for the past three, four years, every single summer, a big summer, Spurs need to do X, Y, Z because there's there's just so much to do. And in 2017, we weren't in that position. We were in a position where we just... A couple quality players that would fit into the role would have been fine. And then the following year, 2018, just another couple more. It would have oh, been exactly. fine. That would have been a good phasing out and, and phasing in of players. But what happened? We signed Sissoko in 2017. No, 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 wait. We said, yeah, we signed Sissoko in 2016. Then we signed David, David mm-hmm. Sanchez for 42 mil. Uh, that, 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 that's money laundering right there. And um, 2018, well, we know what happened in 2018. Um, yeah. So, yeah. wait. And then, and then obviously, <laughs> 20, what, 2019, every single signing turned out to be an absolute. Are they? St- are any of them still there? Apart from Cess, yes, it's just Cess. Just Jack Cess. Yeah, Jack Jack Clark's on there, Sunderland, and Cess Cess is there now. Yeah, but Cess is getting no time, man. Uh, Word to yeah. you, Sus, Sus, Ryan, Sus. Yeah. Um, anyway, listen. Good chat on the Conte on the Conte um, interview. I think it's yeah, see Spurs Twitter and, and everyone's opinions on the interview, but I think the majority of tweets I've seen are pretty much aligned um, in, the, in their thinking and they think this is a positive thing. It's, it's good that we have someone that shakes and ruffles feathers. Um, moving on swiftly then on to Man City, because of course we've got Man City coming up next Saturday, 5.30 kickoff. Guys, I'm not really going to try and speak too much on this because I don't want to pay 
in detail. But this is a this is a day out for for for, for me and you, Jack, isn't it? Um, it's a the, day out, man. It's a day, day out. out, man. Day out, me and day out in Manchester. Me, Jack, and some of the lads grab a pint, maybe a yeah. maybe a pie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> curry, we'll do that. Chicken curry pie, and then yeah, uh, and then um, heading to the ground. But honestly, all jokes aside, we're gonna get absolutely flogged, aren't we? Like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. At the end of the day, this is a team. 13 unbeaten in the league. Last lost the game in beginning of December. Last lost in the league in October. Let's just enjoy the day out and um, we'll wait for the next game, which is, uh, is it Leeds away, yeah? Um, no, nah, it's Burnley away. Burnley away. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really taking too, I'm not paying too mind to that match just because the last time I, I think the last game we played there, um, Certain Davison Sanchez, I think he did. He, did he face plant there? Face planted by oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Apparently, um, that mark that it's a, there's a face size mark in the penalty spot that's still there. <laughs> at the end, yeah. Might be Sanchez's, yeah. I'm good, I'm good, man. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, just let's just enjoy the day out. Um, yeah, yeah trust, show you parts of the city, you know. So, yeah. it's just down, it's not yeah, too far yeah, from me yeah. now. Put on. Put on a man, yeah. In the, yeah you know, once you're in the tram, put on some mank accents when you're in the tram. Once you're out of it, go go back to being yourself. Um, in all the time I've been there, in all the times I've been to the Etihad, I've only like truly been happy once, and that was when we got through the Champions League. And even then, we lost on the night. Obviously, we did. We went for an away goals, but we lost on the night. I've never seen us win at this ground. The first game I went to, 6-0. The second game I went to, um, 4-1. The third game I went to, 4-1. And then the next game I went to, we lost 4-3. Like, when am I going to see this team actually win at this ground? The, the 4-1 against City in 2017, was it? Um, when Kevin De Bruyne slapped Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really that, was, that, showed the, that showed the Bozo gene the most because the goal we conceded, the Gunda and Header from a set piece, yeah. They didn't they didn't even have to work hard for that. Because <laughs> City, the yeah. best team in the country, just simple set piece header. It's like at least let them play around you. Yeah. That that annoyed me. That 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 showed the Bozo gene the most to me. Yeah. Bozo virus galore, man. Um I remember that game, Kieran uh Kieran Trippier. Leroy Sane cooked him and sent this guy to the pits of hell with, with that. <laughs> <laughs> and dashed him with Hades and them man in the underworld, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. He ripped him to shreds. Um, Tops, more on us. What do you think Antonio Conte can do different in this game to try and... I'm not going to say win or get a result because let's be honest, the result is set in stone. But what do you think he can do to sort of get a better performance out of Spurs in comparison to what we saw what, what we saw against Southampton and Wolves. Games like this, I just want us to do two things. Um, I just want us to be compact defensively because we know City are going to have a lot of the ball. So if it means just sitting our lines up to be very tight, um, making sure that we don't evade one-on-ones and we defend well. And then when we do have the ball, just transition clinically. That's it. I mean, like any team that goes generally to City, you're not you're 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 giving up 60, 70 percent possession, and at this point, the way that we are at the moment, where I think our confidence level is quite low, 
I just want us to start the game well by defense defending like resolutely, very compact, and then when we do break in transition, just break clinically. I, I'm not asking for too much. Well, I am asking for too much, but I, I don't. I don't. But I don't expect very much. That's all. that's all. Jack, I'm going to come to you on this as well because Tops has made a great point, and I think I think the fact that um, the fact that we are going to be a side that aren't going to have, to be honest, we're not really a possession-based side, but the fact that we're going to have pretty much maybe 25 to 30% possession this game, I imagine, 25 to 35% possession in this game, I imagine, suggests that we will have to be really, really effective when we're in possession. Um, do you trust this team more to, to, to cope with the rigours that come with playing Man City at the Etihad in a 3-4-1-2 shape, in a 3-5-2 shape, in a 3-4-3 shape, in a 4-2-3-1 shape. What shape do you think will allow Spurs to will allow Spurs to defend better than we did against Wolves and Southampton and also provide an effective um provide effective opportunities to break when we do get possession? I don't know about shape, but if they can shape shift into good players, then maybe we have a chance. Because <laughs> I, I, it, when you said the word trust, I, there isn't any. You, none of us, no, the three of us here, we don't trust any of these players, and they won't. They won't deliver. We know that, and I just feel we have to have our, you know, the Lucases, maybe the Bergwines. We have to play to our strengths in terms of. The, the game itself, which would be, you know, pace on the break, which would be quick movement, quick release of the ball. And I think, you know, if Winks can somehow be a good player and um, play the way he did uh, against Liverpool, then um, maybe there's some glimmers of hope we'll have around the final third. Ultimately, I think, regardless whether we have that or not, we'll get battered. But I think... Those are the key parts that will... Because our midfield, midfield's no chance. Our midfield is there to search and destroy. That's it. And, yeah. to, and to not let the back line even have the ball. That's that's their role. The, the, yeah. Our back line cannot be in possession of the ball. They cannot be blocking the ball. They, they just have to be there and stop runners. That's it. And obviously there, there are links that... There are sources that are saying Oliver Skip's injury is worse than feared. Um... He looks like he may be potentially a doubt, and that looks like a big miss there. But, um, guys, do you take any inspiration from how we set up against Man City when we beat them in the reverse fixture? Because in that game, there wasn't there wasn't um, intricate build-up from the back. There wasn't um, a hugely expansive tactic. It was more a case of um, getting a lot of energy in the team and making sure that we never left City in compromising positions on the pitch in 1v1 situations. And when we did transition, we transitioned effectively well. And Lucas Moura, Bonehead City, he was actually probably our best player that, that game, I think, um, offensively. I thought he was really good at taking it from defence to attack. Um, Sun did okay as well. Bergvine, I don't think he played well, but in terms of ball carrying, I think he even showed a couple of glimpses as well. So... Do you think this is a game now where ideally one of Bergvine um, or, or, or Lucas Moura should start just for that threat and transition? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, the good thing about those two is that they both work extremely hard. Um, and the way that they kind of play in terms of their profile, they, do, they don't mind the ball in that sort of half space transition sort of sort of um, areas in the pitch. So, you know, as long as we can get in behind players like Rodri and Gundo, um, when we do have the ball in those like right moments, yeah, sure, why not? Um, I don't feel this is a this is a kind of I don't feel this is this is a tactic that suits Sun. I don't think Sun's very good um like on the turn or with his back to goal. Um so it's gonna be difficult. Uh, I would like to see us go with three in midfield just to try and give them some sort of some sort of battle um, in terms of possession as opposed to just giving up possession completely and allowing them to completely take the game. Um, at least if we can match them, because I watched them the other week um, away to Norwich and although Fernandinho is an excellent midfielder, I mean, he can always be got at. He can always be got at. Um, is Rodri is Rodri still still injured? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I was looking at their team because he didn't play yesterday either as well. Yeah, um, I'm hearing rumours as well that Regulon is is not available, which is a, listen, Regulon is not the bee's knees, but at the very least, he is miles better than anything we anything else we have at left back, and that to me is a concern. Um, but guys, good analysis. Um, now I'm going to ask you for predictions. What are we going for? Are we go. Uh, in fact, let me shut up. Give me your predictions. I'm going for uh, minus one handicap. <laughs> this guy's such a betting me. <laughs> Give me a scoreline, bro. So what? One nil. Uh, no, two nil. Two nil. Two nil. Oh, okay. Minus one. Yeah, two nil. Um, Jack. Four nil, Man City. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? <laughs> I don't think that's funny. I think that's quite a no, serious I think, I think that's perfectly valid. I think that's perfectly valid. They scored four goals against us probably twice in the last four league matches they've had against us at that ground. Um, in fact, no, the last five league matches they've had against us at that ground. Um, actually, no, that's wrong. Three, three, three or more goals in the last five league games they've had at that ground. I'm going to go for three now. I think they're going to. I think we're going to try, maybe play, probably play a little bit better than we, or start a little bit better than we did against um, Wolves and Southampton. But yeah. I think the quality will, will, will show through in the end, man. And I think yeah. we'll well and truly brushed aside. But hey ho, um, it'll be another trip to the uh, to, to the Etihad, and me and Jack, um, I guess we'll be on our best or on our worst behaviour, hooligan wise. Okay. <laughs> yeah, listen, um... it is what it is. Yeah, Manx Man- Man- can't fight anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, lads, just over one hour, um, so it's time to end it there. For those who are still listening, make sure you subscribe to Touchline Fracker on all socials, um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, for those who aren't aware as well, we've also got Touchline Fives right now, so it's five-a-side football. Every Sunday, we've got We've got um, teams for every sort of big six side, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, well, not got one for Man City yet, Liverpool, and then we've also got a rest of the world team for your Man Cities, for your West Ham, Everton, etc. So whoever you support, if you're interested 
in playing with some of the cast members or just general listeners of the pod on Sundays, Survivor side, um, hit us up on the socials and we'll get that hooked up. Uh, guys, thank you for hopping on. It's been a pleasure. No uh, problem, brother. Always. Stay blessed and don't let Spurs stress you too much. Take care. On debut, Tungay Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. Oh, great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Oh, yay! Sports Social Podcast Network.